everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to this year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rookrout. And today, I think we have the Contenders episode you've all been waiting for. We are diving into Best Actor, which is maybe a little predictable, and Best Actress, which, just like last year, is proving to be one of the most unpredictable races of the night in always the best category, as we all know. I'm so excited to dig into these categories, and with us today, we have a special guest. You heard him last year on our Oscar Rewind of the 2010 Oscars, talking about the social network, Black Swan, the unfortunate victory of the King's Speech. Welcome back to the pod, the host of And the Runner-Up Is, Kevin Jacobson. Thank you. I'm very excited to be talking about modern-day races again. (laughs) Why does it feel like you were on so long ago? My God. I know. I was like that, 2010s. That's... What What are those? I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said last year too, but I realized it was end of 2020. So it really has been a while. You were also on our famous award season fantasy draft, of course, with mm-hmm. Joyce Yes. Yes. Which was fun. Very fun. Chaotic, but fun. Yeah. So we'll get started with Best Actor. Our nominees here, we have Javier Bardem from Being the Ricardos, Benedict Cumberbatch from The Power of the Dog, Andrew Garfield in Tick, Tick, Boom, Will Smith in King Richard, and Denzel Washington and The Tragedy of Macbeth. So just as a group, how do you guys feel about these nominees? I'm not like too wild on them, but how do you guys feel? I mean, for me, last year was kind of a high watermark where I felt like I was finally excited about a best actor category again. I mean, even Gary Oldman and Mank, I didn't mind as much as most people did him being there. But with this, I feel like it's like a slight step down from that higher place where I feel like I have a few here that I feel like are really just performances I would have advocated for in any year and others I sort of feel like, are they going to hold up later on down the line? Probably not. Is it a little bit of hype? Maybe. (laughs) But yeah, it's not a perfect category by any means. I think there were some more adventurous choices that could have been made that would have made this more exciting. Yeah, I agree with you. When I look back at the 2010s as a decade and look at the Best Actor winners, it's so easy to just be underwhelmed. Maybe with the exception of like a Casey Affleck in Manchester by the Sea or Daniel Day-Lewis in Lincoln. But it's just typically an underwhelming bunch and I feel like this group is similar to that there are a couple of performances here that I absolutely love and it'll be clear which performances I'm talking about as we go through each one and I feel I think this year more so than other years like very disconnected from the public or from film twitter in the way that people are talking about some of these performances I've seen raves for some that I'm just kind of meh on. As a whole, definitely some strong performances to recommend and to be excited for, and some others where I could think of a lot, a lot of men who I would have rather had in this category in their place. Yeah, it just feels like a mixed bag, and I'm going to say the same exact thing with Actress, but some really high highs, some really not low lows, but, you know, it's... Some mad mads. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's get right into the the low-low of the group. 
Our first well. nominee here, we have Javier Bardem for Being the Ricardos. In Being the Ricardos, he plays Desi Arnaz and also Ricky Ricardo in our flashback scenes to I Love Lucy. I don't even know if you can call them flashbacks. Who knows what Sorkin is really doing here in this movie. This is his fourth nomination. He's been nominated before for Before Night Falls, Beautiful, and No Country for Old Men. No Country for Old Men, of course, gave him a season sweep, and he won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. This season, he was nominated at the Golden Globes and also at the SAG Awards. I'll ask you guys first. I think just thinking of Bardem as an actor and in his career, how does this nomination compare to his other nominations or performances in his career for you guys? Uh, well, for me, it's the first time I think that he's played like a real person and got nominated for it. And uh, this is probably going to foretell sort of my thoughts on a lot of these performances is that I tend to gravitate more to original characters. Mm-hmm. And so kind of for that reason, I just look at this as him doing something different, but also sort of a step down from what he's done before. And uh, it sticks out to me compared to his other nominations, I would say. Mm-hmm. Not in a good way. <laughs> Not in a good way, right. I should have said that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this whole sort movie just yeah. has some very interesting performances. And this is one, when I saw it, I was like, please don't nominate this. Like, he's done much better work before. And... It's like, oh, no. And then you get that wonderful scene at the end. Like, it's uh, not my favorite. Obviously, No Country for Old Men is just a high standard, especially for him. So I also feel like this is a step down. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I think that his performance in No Country for Old Men is one of those, like, signature supporting actor wins for me. I think of the coin toss scene. I think of just how violent and terrifying he is and that wig that he wears which Judy Dench also sports in Belfast this year um <laughs> but this performance it just feels kind of like a waste of a best actor spot it feels really uninspired i think i left the film thinking nicole definitely is getting in this is mm-hmm. such an oscar bait type of role it feels right she's playing a real famous person and i also said jk simmons at the time i thought you know Maybe he seemed mm-hmm. to kind of grasp the William Frawley character, but Javier was like, he was, he was not on, not on my list to get in. And I partially think this movie and these performances were sort of bound to fail for me because as a kid, I had this deep attachment and association to I Love Lucy because I watched Nick at Night a lot. Like, I watched Mary Tyler Moore. I watched I Love Lucy. I watched all of those shows, even, like, All in the Family. So I just had a certain idea of what this movie could be. And part of that is just that Javier is so miscast. I don't think he is the right choice to play Desi Arnaz or Ricky Ricardo. And part of that, of course, too, is he's not a Cuban actor. And... I think maybe let's talk about that a little bit. What did you guys think of the controversy there around his casting? Yeah, that's kind of been like an interesting discussion happening over the last maybe 10 years or so. The idea of honoring like who a person is in the casting and, you know, gay characters and trans characters and, you know, different races and ethnicities. But it's just the kind of thing where I'm like, I look at the performance and I don't really see 
what it was about him in particular that felt like it would lend itself to playing Desi Arnaz. Mm -hmm. So even though it's like, it is kind of a problem that he is, he has no Cuban heritage and he's playing this very famous Cuban person that people know very well. It's, it's also like an added layer, the fact that he doesn't even really like transcend and actually convincingly play someone of Cuban descent. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's sort of a mess all around for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, was the controversy a little like heightened, probably a little too out of control for my own personal taste, but um, yeah, I, 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 I just, again, sort of like fundamentally disagree with the casting. <laughs> do you have a better alternative for who should have played him then? Yes, I do. It's Oscar Isaac. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Perfect. you. Love it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how that would work with like Nicole Kidman because she's a bit older than him. So maybe they would have to find a different Lucille, but he can sing. He's actually of Cuban descent. He's in the right age range of what Desi was at this time. Like Javier Bardem is like straight up in his 50s. And in this movie, I literally had to look it up. And Desi was like 36 or so when these things were taking place. So yeah, it's just a bizarre thing from a lot of different angles for me. Well, it got him this nomination, so, so in some way know? it worked. Right. I know, right? It's like they <laughs> had the idea and... <sighs> well, I was actually curious what you guys thought about the flashback scenes of when he's like getting to know Lucille, and I think there's like a little bit of de-aging happening, or I don't know if it's makeup or visual effects or what's happening, but it's different, and he's like doing his singing. Like, What did you guys think of that? version of desi not the singing oh this was yeah (laughs) this was really tough for me this was the hardest thing i think in the movie i mean one he had i mean it looked like coats of tom ford bronzer just like caked on him as Mm -hmm. he's performing like babaloo and these different hits and at one point i nick i remember i kind of like grabbed your arm because i knew i was gonna start cracking up during this and everyone else is just like enraptured at the screening and i just i was like i'm having a a fully inappropriate response Mm -hmm. to this moment you are not on the same wavelength as the audience no right absolutely not that's always fun yeah (laughs) yeah this is surprising because I usually like Javier Bardem and uh-huh. do think that he has charisma in some of his roles, like, you know, Skyfall even, I'm thinking of, like, yeah. all the charisma he has there. A strange sort of charisma in No Country for Old Men. But here, I'm just like, I don't even see that. Like, I feel like he was so focused on, you know, making sure he got the line deliveries right and just, like, trying so hard to not screw it up that I feel like I I didn't see the sort of soul underneath it all, if you know what I mean. Definitely. Because he is an actor who can be a chameleon, right? He can disappear into right. his roles. And he is a talented actor. But this just, I think you're right. He was hyper-focused maybe on an imitation or of playing right. the character in a specific way as more of an impersonation. Part of that might come down to... I know he and Nicole were both a little bit rattled by the public's response to the casting, so I don't know how much that maybe played yeah. into making him more nervous on set. But yeah, 
unfortunately the performance is just unsuccessful for me when Bardem is an actor I typically like. I do like him as an actor as well. It's just he's played calculated so much better before and here it's just loud. Like, (laughs) yes, he's trying to be a real person, but he's not holding anything back. And that's, I think, what I like to see in any performance. And we can talk about the ending. If that's not your Oscar clip, then (laughs) what is? (laughs) You know it is. Before we get into the Oscar clips, so just for our listeners, for these contenders episodes in particular, where we go through our acting contenders, we will each share what we would select as their Oscar scene. So fingers crossed the Academy decides to include clips for our nominees. Nick, you can go first. What is your scene for Javier? Is it the ending? So it's before he goes on at the very end and he calls in his assistant and is like, call this man. And that's when we we like died in the theater. But yeah, it's when he's talking to Nicole and I think it's his most convincing scene and it's his strongest performance. And if we're figuring out like a 15 second clip, you know, you can easily find a good chunk there where he's acting. Kevin, what about you? Um, Well, I took note of his kind of sassy little moment with Tony Hale when they talk about he's like, you know, you're the I and I love Lucy. And therefore, like, you're the star. And we see him kind of like playing along with that until at the end, he sort of just says something about like, stop patronizing me. And he does a little dance at the end. I mean, I think that would play well. Mm hmm. I mean, I don't know. I'm sort of grasping at straws when I think of, like, highlight (laughs) moments for me that I actually, like, connected with. Um, Yeah. Also, by the way, I fact-checked myself, and I was actually wrong, because he did play a real-life person in Before Night Falls. That was his first nomination. I forgot about that, but yeah. Yeah, my my clip just has to be this infamous J. Edgar Hoover scene at the end where he's addressing the audience, because it is just so unhinged and over the top and I think this is where we start to see Javier's charisma a little bit like his ability to connect with this audience maybe more so than in other clips and I think in this moment too this is when we realize that Lucy has been more worried about Desi than really anything else this entire movie more so than the the communist label or anything like that so I feel like this is maybe a scene where we see them play off of each other a little bit more but again Also grasping at straws here. So next up, we'll talk about Benedict Cumberbatch. He plays Phil Burbank in The Power of the Dog. This is his second Oscar nomination. He was previously nominated for actor in The Imitation Game. And so far this season, he's pretty much been nominated across the board. Golden Globe, SAG, Critics' Choice, and BAFTA. And he's won the New York Film Critics Circle. And he was runner-up at LA and then also with the National Society of Film Critics. So I think it's it's been a pretty lauded performance. But Kevin, how do you feel about Benedict's performance? Uh, well, first of all, I've been a bit of a Benedict Cumberbatch agnostic I would say for a while like he's been good in some movies not so good in others the accent work is always kind of spotty for me sometimes when he's playing like an American for example but yeah I guess I've just rarely been like wowed by one of his performances and honestly I truly mean this sincerely like all of that changed in this performance for me like he he made me a believer in this case um 
And I just feel like him and Jane Campion are really a match made in heaven because I think, I feel like she saw the potential in just his face, if you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. just his, the the odd way that he looks. And she's always been kind of fascinated by these sort of peculiar people and human behavior and that sort of depth of feeling going on, how they're hiding something. And I feel like he's so perfect for this, even though, like, if you look at it, it feels like such a strange thing to be like, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch, this British actor who is presumably straight, we think he's straight, and playing this rancher from Montana in the 1920s. And I think if you look at, like, August Osage County or other (laughs) kinds of performances like this, I was like, oh, God, what is this even going to look like? But I was, like, fully in it from the beginning, and I felt like his accent never slipped, thank God. Um, And he just had such a command over this movie, but also didn't make him into like a two dimensional kind of villain type, you really feel a strange level of sympathy over time as this is going on. And a lot of that is just like his face and the way the camera's like lingering on him, which is why I think, you know, like the different elements of the film itself actually are combining to help make this performance successful. But I also think that he's just so menacing and just like you really feel like these visceral feelings, like you're walking on eggshells almost, like watching this performance. And so, uh, yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a big fan too. Anyone who listens to this show knows, like I am a huge stan for this movie i'm obsessed with it like have been since i first saw it back in october and yeah i mean benedict cumberbatch i can roast myself here for a little bit but nick when we did our early oscar predictions i said like whatever's happening here benedict cumberbatch's accent is not going to be good like everyone else in the movie has to be better (laughs) because i just remembered the texan accent in the mauritanian Like, there were just certain things that he had done in his career that made me a bit dubious. And I just, I don't know why I didn't trust Jane Campion. That's on me. Because he is so brilliant here, I think. And I was so pleasantly surprised at how much he held my attention and pulled me into this movie and made me feel for this character. And I think there are few people who could play this part like so beautifully and so effectively. Because if you think about this character, it's so specific. This actor here has to play someone who can convincingly be hyper-masculine, who can go out and castrate bulls and loves to smell, doesn't want to go to the formal dinner, but who also is Ivy League educated, who can convincingly remind you that he, he studied classics and graduated Phi Beta Kappa from Yale. Like, that's a very specific person, and I'm always stumped trying to think of another actor who could have pulled that off in the same way um, as convincingly, and I just think this performance is beautiful. He works so well alongside his other actors, and the performance evolves throughout the film as we see his guard continue to be let down a little bit, and it becomes, it just hurts you more to see him in this film, and yeah, I think his his scenes with the other actors shine, like with Kirsten Dunst, with Jesse Plemons, with Cody Smith-McPhee, of course, but even in those silent moments when he's in nature alone, you feel so much from this performance, and I love it, and I'm 
I'm almost glad that I doubted him because I think it made the reward that much richer when I finally saw the movie. Yeah, even if we're just comparing these two performances we've talked about so far, like this is that calculated holding back acting that I wanted. And like that is a campion film. That's what she's trying to portray by every little moment in this movie. But he pulls it off. He really knows when to let out or when to hold back and like watching him torture Rose when he's playing the banjo. It's awful to watch, but he is so good at it. And then when he turns around and wants to befriend Peter, it's like, wait, what is he trying to get at? And so it's just constantly making you think as a viewer. And I agree. I think this one is a much deserved acting nomination. And a much better nomination than the imitation game. Like the imitation game feels like that kind of standard first nomination for an up and coming British actor playing a real person just in this film that's like lauded by the industry a little bit, but he was never going to really win anything compared to this, which is just like he's in full command. But also interesting to me that these two performances, this and Imitation Game, he's playing like a repressed gay man, mm-hmm. <laughs> like very specifically. But there's a world of difference between those two performances mm-hmm. for me too. It's just funny how that sort of worked out that way for him. Mm-hmm. And so much of that right goes back to the relationship with your director. And I think mm-hmm. that Jane Campion like understood his like cat-like features too. Like he has a very cat-like face. And I think the way that he moves throughout this film in certain scenes is very similar to the way that a cat would. So I really like that as well. What would you pick for his Oscar scene? There's so many, which is interesting. (laughs) Is that I don't think there's like an actually like an obvious one for me. Uh, But I do think that the ones that best showcase just what this performance is are the ones where he's just like said something horrible to someone or he's done something horrible. Mm -hmm. And you can see like the weird amount of satisfaction he gets out of like torturing the other person. I think that sort of is a good representative of this performance. So I think one of those kinds of scenes, like something in the beginning where he's making fun of Peter and the flower and everything there, or the uh, the dinner scene where he's just showed up late to dinner and he's really like torturing Rose in that moment. But it's hard to really judge because I don't know like the amount of time that these Oscar clips mm-hmm. require. So it's hard to like condense it into like what what kind of time frame are we looking at here? But probably a little snippet of that dinner conversation, I would say. Yeah. Mine would be at the end when he finds out that Rose gave away the hides and he's like yelling at George in the barn. And that precedes Mm -hmm. another great barn scene, but these are louder moments. I think it's just easier an easier acting showcase, but I do like what he's doing here. And George is just like taking it in and like relax, you know, she's going to do what she's going to do. Like she's a mess, but (laughs) yeah. What would yours be Sophia? I was going to say so many good barn scenes in this movie. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. so hard for me to choose, but I do think I'm going to go with the moment when I first realized I was watching just this showstopper of a performance. And that's at the beginning, Kevin, the scene that you mentioned with the flowers at the table, you see Mm -hmm. him 
first he's standing up at this table, then he sits at the head, and you just feel his silent control over this group after he's just snapped at all of these people for being loud and playing music. He just shows his dominance there, but also you see as he's like spinning the flower around and mocking Peter, there is this curiosity there, and you start to wonder why is he interested in this Peter character in this way or why is he tormenting him in a different way than he is reacting to the other people in the scene so I would say anything like that but there are so many I don't think I'll be angry with anything they show I feel like it's all good to me yeah really the whole movie is sort of like it's own Oscar scene for him Mm -hmm. like truly (laughs) show the whole movie there we go make everyone watch it All right. So our next nominee here, we have Andrew Garfield from Tick, Tick, Boom. He plays Jonathan Larson, the playwright who is most famous for Rent, I would say. This is Andrew Garfield's second Oscar nomination. His first was for Hacksaw Ridge. Unfortunately, not the social network. This season, he was nominated at SAG and at Critics' Choice and also won the Golden Globe for Comedy Musical. How does this nomination compare to his other nominations or performances in his career for you guys? First of all, I'll just join the chorus and say that I love Andrew Garfield. So I'll just get that out of the way. Um, So I've been sort of following him since The Social Network. And let's also stick up for Never Let Me Go, which Mm -hmm. I think he's Mm -hmm. fantastic in from that same year. Um, But I feel like he's always sort of had like that sincerity to him. Like, he's not a cynical kind of actor. Like, he just really gives his all to pretty much any of these performances. And I think something like this really, really lends itself to that particular brand of sort of, like, eagerness that he just naturally has. So this is a, this is a case where, as opposed to, like, Javier Bardem, I'm like, this is, like, fantastic casting here. Like, I can think of very few actors who could have pulled this off as well as he could well if we're comparing nominations these two movies couldn't be any different um he plays quirky so well here and i like what he does i i didn't really know of jonathan larson before or like have seen footage of him or anything so i think from what they're telling through this movie we get to see a really unique side to this character this person and I think he pulls off singing pretty well. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Well, he learned to sing for this for movie, this role. which is wow. crazy to think mm-hmm. about. Like, I would have assumed that he had, you know, a lot of singing credits in his career because I think he does pull it off really convincingly. I think this is just an excellent nomination for a person like Andrew Garfield. He is just a very warm and charismatic person. I love just like watching interviews with Andrew Garfield and hearing what other actors have to say about him because he just seems like such a lovely person. I think that Larson also has this sort of like manic kinetic energy and Andrew Garfield is spot on in pulling that off. People know this about me. I, I don't like a lot of movement in my movies. I prefer stillness. Part of this might be I'm also just not a musical theater kid. But I will say this performance did work for me. And he is like incredibly committed to this character. I think he nails it. It will always just be 
like a harder performance for me and a harder movie for me to connect with, I think, compared to other dramatic performances that we get. In a way, I think of him as like a modern day Tom Hulse in Amadeus playing Mozart. And I've always been more of a Salieri fan. So I'll compare it to that. That actually does make sense. Yeah. And I'll say that he really has so much theater kid energy Mm -hmm. in this role, Mm -hmm. for better or for worse, where it's like either you're drawn into that kind of energy or you're maybe kind of repulsed by it. Some people I've seen who just don't like this movie are just like rejecting it out of hand because of that kind of energy, Mm -hmm. I think. But either way, I think he does just sort of embody that very specific kind of person who's like kind of narcissistic you know he can be kind of an asshole sometimes you know he's not like always thinking of other people so much as just himself and his art and how much he can change Mm -hmm. the world through what he does um but again it's just like so consistent with who what that kind of a person would act like Mm -hmm. That it's like, it's hard to really fault him, even if you are sort of repulsed by the things that he does in in a few times. Exactly. It's one of those, like, if you like it, you love it. And if you don't like it, I think you can at least still, like, respect it and see his commitment to the character. And he does do a really good job. And he's just very expressive. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a very hard-on-your-sleeve kind of performance too where it's like you can look at it and you'd be like wow that's that is a performance like it's hard to not see like just so much that he's doing Mm -hmm. but you know I do think there is some some substance underneath all of that that he does make you care about him and just his good intentions Jonathan Larson his good intentions with wanting to change the world even if he feels like he can't or he's stuck. And I, I do also just like those moments where he does get stuck and he has these obstacles. And like his the, uh, the scene I'm thinking of is with him and Judith Light and she's telling him that, you know, the musical isn't going forward, basically. And he has to write the next one. And you just see just like the devastation on mm-hmm. his face. So he's a good actor. He's a good reactor. He's so dialed in to every scene, basically. And I just think it, it really works from beginning to end. So what would you pick for his Oscar scene? I would actually pick the scene that you just mentioned, Kevin, with Judith Light oh. as his agent. And just seeing his face when he realizes like everything that I've worked for, everything that I've pulled off, all of these last-minute hurdles that I've cleared to somehow get this musical going and together, it's still not going to be this one. It's not enough. And I think that that is, that's definitely a struggle. I think that a lot of actors and playwrights and artists have It's just like, when is this going to work for me? When is this going to be the one? In addition to showcasing his abilities there as an actor, it's a scene that I'm sure a lot of people in the Academy will be able to relate to and connect with. Yeah. This was actually another tricky one for me, but I think if we're to look at like one of his performance scenes, I I would say probably the performance he gives at the end, which is not the very end, but outside at the piano when he's singing Why, which he's like singing about his friendship with Michael, and he's just like very emotional. He's tearing up. I mean, if there's, I feel like any 
scene of him performing is a showcase in and of itself because again like this is his first time even being a singer and he's doing it so convincingly yeah mine wouldn't be 3090 one i love the song two you're talking about this manic energy that he has and you know very theater kid energy and that's how he starts the movie like he is on like it's kind of tiring watching him because you're like (laughs) oh my gosh where's all this energy coming from Mm -hmm. but he's great I think showcasing some of the singing I feel like we don't usually get that in Oscar clips I just had a flashback to Rami Malek's Oh, that clip was. of <laughs> lip syncing. I really think I, I eliminated that from my mind because that race was so traumatic for me the whole season. Yeah, I apologize. It's okay, I'm reminded of it every once in a while. <laughs> so our next nominee is Will Smith. He plays Richard Williams in King Richard. This is a long time coming for him. He's been nominated twice before for Ali and the Pursuit of Happiness. This season, he won Golden Globe for Drama and SAG, and then he was also nominated for Critics' Choice and BAFTA. How do you guys feel about this performance in terms of his previous nominations? Yeah, I mean, it is kind of funny to me that this is such a long break that he's had since The Pursuit of Happiness. I mean, when you look at the choices that he's made in his career, maybe it's not like as surprising in in a few different cases i think he had a few opportunities to go in the route of like chasing an oscar quote unquote that he just didn't really was wasn't really interested in as much but yeah i mean this is like yet another example of will smith just lending that x factor kind of charisma that he's always had and he continues to have but this is in such a different mode compared to like you know, pursuit of happiness, even though that has to do with fatherhood and all that. And Ali, when he was much younger, that it's sort of refreshing to see him in this kind of a role that isn't so much relying on him just being like the dashing leading man, kind of like super charming kind of Will Smith that we know and love. And it's it's sort of like a different version of that. Yeah. It's interesting when you think about his career because he is like just this outgoing, charismatic star. I feel like everyone knows who Will Smith is and most people love Will Smith. And usually he brings that into his movies in a really savvy way, as any good movie star would. And I think what's interesting here about this role is that it feels like the kind of role that happens for leading men who are meant to eventually win an Oscar. And we can talk about that with will win and should win and all of that. But I think what I like most here is that he still has that charm and charisma in the part, but this character is particularly difficult. He's overwhelming. He's obstinate, but also he lets his other actors in the scenes rise to the occasion with him and sometimes steal the scenes right away from him. Like I think about certain scenes with Anjanou Ellis when I'm like more attracted to what she's doing or scenes with John Bernthal or Sonia Sidney. And I think that is the mark of an actor who has gotten to a particular point in their career with their own confidence and their own abilities, like as a performer and as a leader on set. And I feel like that's what he's doing here. And I do think it's a really well acted movie. 
you remember when you're watching this too that the story itself is just like really incredible of the Williams sisters. Of course, it's incredibly manipulative like all sports movies are, but while I prefer like other performances I think here, I do think Will Smith is good in this movie. Yeah, with a title as King Richard, you know, you are assuming it's about him and I'm glad that it was a really collective movie. I mean, it was up for SAG cast ensemble and I was kind of rooting for it there because I loved all the actors. And yes, I think Will is delivering more drama maybe than he usually does. Like I'm thinking of Hitch or iRobot, maybe these like lesser films, you know, not nominated for, but he goes a little bit more serious here. And I like that. And again, with the title we're figuring out who this dad is like yes fatherhood is difficult but when you're also a father to five girls and two who are or you know you want to be huge stars I think unpacking everything that was going through his mind and providing for them and his family was a different way that I didn't really expect the movie to showcase that and and it did really well so like you're saying, Sophia, I think this performance is great. I'm glad Ingenue is also nominated. But again, like the whole cast, I really enjoyed a lot of scenes from this movie. Yeah, um, I will just add that I was looking back on my review of King Richard from when I first saw it, and I described his performance as effortful, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, you can see that and be like that's kind of shady that's like that has a pejorative sense to it but I think it's a good performance I just think it's also very easy to latch on to a little bit similar to Andrew Garfield in the sense of like you're looking at it and you're saying wow like look at how he transforms and how he's changing his voice and it's like all these little elements that it's like you know so much easier to figure out what he's doing here compared to what other more complicated work, not just in this category, but in other kinds of acting um, are doing. And that's why I think, you know, Will Smith and Jessica Chastain in the actress category are maybe seen as front runners, is that it's very apparent that they're becoming another person. Mm-hmm. But I think he does do this interesting blend of creating a character that is sort of grounded, but also having that larger than life kind of influence over people in the way that Will Smith just sort of naturally does. Although I, I I remember watching it and having the sense of like, he's good in this role and he certainly commands a lot of attention, but there's also like a little bit of it that's not quite connecting with me in a way that makes me feel like this is like a home run sort of situation, not to mix sports metaphors <laughs> there, but um <laughs> It's it's just like there's there's so much there's so much muchness to this performance mm-hmm. and it's so easy to see everything he's doing and then this is also a case for me again where I don't like there's a there's a little bit holding me back for whatever reason and I haven't really figured out exactly what it is I don't know if we can unpack that somehow here but <laughs> I like Will Smith but there's something here where I'm just unconvinced that this performance is like fully deserving of sure it can be deserving of a best actor win of a best actor win but is it the one of this year like I'm having trouble with that and I think part of it is because I still see Will Smith in this role 
So despite everything he does to transform, like changing the voice, which is so close to Richard Williams, it does feel like this is a this is a Will Smith as an actor like showcase, but he's still that Will Smith that I know. Whereas if I'm comparing it to Benedict Cumberbatch, like it's a performance that is it's fully transformative in a different way and blew me away due to how uneasy it made me feel. And this performance, it might be just too approachable for me to really love. Like I, I tend to like the characters that are a bit trickier to unpack that make you work yes. for it a and little i think bit. you yeah. see that now in your show with like betty davis right like she should have multiple yeah, oscars but true. like some of those characters that she plays they're not the people in the group that the academy wants to recognize because ultimately i think actors sometimes they they're just like oh i'm gonna vote for richard williams or lucille ball like it's not thinking about the performance <laughs> in a particularly nuanced way I think that's what's holding me back a little. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I I I just feel like also some of just the the amount of the mannerisms and the voice and just the physicality of it sometimes gets in the way a little bit of the more layered emotions and maybe that's partly just the script not always really diving as deep into some of the harsher elements of Richard Williams or just all of the racism that this family faced. Um, it's can feel like a little bit of a sanitized version and like a, you know, Venus and Serena Williams approved mm-hmm. version of this story more so than something that like really digs deep into the more negative aspects of Richard, which it doesn't in, in some lights, but it feels like it doesn't quite go far enough for me. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's just a sort of writing element in a direction more so than mm-hmm. him. I wonder if he had any say in that because if he was portrayed in a more negative light as Richard, like, do you think people would want to vote for him as much? I feel like it wouldn't be this, Probably. Not. okay, we have to vote for Will Smith now, you know, so he can have an Oscar. So I feel like that surface level to understanding who he was is very much in his favor. And what would you guys pick for his Oscar scene? Nick, I think you're the warmest on this movie of the group. So you can go first. <laughs> I think this is pretty easy when he's talking or coaching Serena at the end and they're looking at the stadium and he goes. Are you talking about the scene when he's talking to Serena and he's like, you're going to be the greatest of all time? Yes, that. Okay. It's very emotional. I'm sure I was crying and, you know, when this was happening, but I think it's sweet too. You know, you get to see a softer side and he has louder moments throughout the film, but I think this more emotional moment is something the academy would totally love um i was gonna see uh, say the other scene of him talking to venus um on the court at i think it's like at nighttime mm-hmm. and he's just sort of telling her about how she's going to inspire so many young black girls with what she's doing and he's like talking about his own background a little bit there that's a good one i think that's also what they just used at the sag awards so maybe that's partly like the reason i would say that but it feels like so perfect for him. I've, honestly, though, like any scene with him talking to one of the girls, I think is probably his strongest moments in the film and that that nice connection that they have. Yeah, I would choose the scene when he's on the tennis court talking to Venus. I just feel like that's why the movie has been hitting the way that it has with audiences. Moments like that, I feel like those turn 
average sports movies into really good sports movies. You have to have scenes like that and you have to have actors who can be really convincing and he is very emotional in that moment and you do feel, I think, the weight of the Williams sisters' legacy for black girls and for tennis as a sport, which is such a white dominated sport. So I think I would select that one. All right, let's get to our last nominee here. We have Denzel Washington, who plays Macbeth in The Tragedy of Macbeth. This is his ninth acting nomination. He's been nominated for Cry Freedom, Glory, where he won, Malcolm X, The Hurricane, Training Day, where he won, Flight, Fences, and most recently, Roman J. Israel Esquire. This season, <laughs> can't forget that one. That's why this whole season, when people kind of started to doubt him a little bit, I was like, wait, wait, you guys, <laughs> remember? Roman J. Israel will always be the example. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, if they're going to nominate him for that, they're going to nominate him for playing Macbeth. And this season, he was nominated at the Golden Globes, the SAG Awards, and Critics' Choice. Got snubbed by BAFTA once again, which is their problem for sure. How does this nomination like stack up to his other nominations? He's had an incredible career. He's an absolute legend. What did you guys think of him as Macbeth? Oh, boy. Um, well, first of all, I'm just going to be upfront and say that even though I majored in English and I've read a lot of Shakespeare, the very basic side of me tends to feel like this kind of thing is homework. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that might be because it was literally homework for me mm -hmm. for so many years that it's just like intrinsic in me to be like, this is like vegetables sort of thing. But having said all that, what he does with the text, I think, is to make it feel very vital and very modern in a way that helps those people who might feel like this is going to be a difficult watch that help to make it more engaging, really. And that's that's kind of what you want out of a Shakespeare adaptation, I think. And as far as like looking at his other nominations and just his career, I think he had like an interview recently where he said this was the last thing that he had never really tackled as like a leading Shakespeare role and uh, at this point it's like he's sort of just done everything under the sun and he's so shown himself to really morph into all these different kinds of characters play real people play iconic literary characters like this and it's there's a reason that he is considered one of the greatest of all time so maybe not for me like a win-worthy performance from him necessarily. I don't think he totally transcends to the point of being like, oh my God, we have to give him a third Oscar. But it's still like an incredible, charismatic, like we're so lucky to have Denzel Washington <laughs> kind of performance for me too at the same time. We've talked about the tragedy of Macbeth, I feel like quite a bit on the pod and mm -hmm. just kind of reiterating there, like, you know, making these characters older playing off of Francis McDormand. These are all things that really, really work. And it's Denzel. You know, it, he is a theater actor, so he knows Macbeth really well. He knows how to perform in the right way. And that really fits him here. All of the monologues he does, like I had trouble finding a scene because I was like, well, pick all of them. <laughs> His work here is great. I've like been thinking about training day recently, like whenever his name pops up, like that is what I go to. So I think coming, 
I mean, that wasn't his first movie, but he's come so far and he gets to showcase a lot of that, a lot of the things he's learned along the way in this movie as Macbeth, who is like a terribly complicated character to begin with. And I think he he gives us all of the horror and the drama that we expect It's funny that you mentioned Training Day because I think one of the best things about casting Denzel as this iconic character, as this Shakespearean villain, really, is that Denzel is so good at playing villains, but he also, because he's Denzel, kind of dares you to root for him and to be on his side. And I think that's crucial to playing Macbeth. Like, any actor who attempts Macbeth like that is the thing I think you need to achieve to unlock the character for the audience and I had never seen I really still like have never seen Macbeth done like this I'm going to see Daniel Craig and Ruth Negga and Macbeth though and I'm very excited to see that and see what he does with the character but I mean more excited for her obviously but back to Denzel I think that you really feel the weight of his words here as this again I said the word before but a legend and it hit the performance hit me so hard on rewatch because at first it feels very casual and you're almost kind of like what this is Shakespeare like this should feel heavy it should feel painful and important but it it felt very loose and conversational and I think that what Denzel does here is he proves like the universality of this text and why it's still important and yeah, I feel like he brought a lot of pain to it. He proved that Joel Cohen was right in wanting to tell it in this way with these older people at the center instead of the young characters that you usually get. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of this performance. It really worked for me as someone, too, who teaches Shakespeare and reads a lot of it. I'm, like, <laughs> thankful, you know, all English teachers everywhere. We are so excited that this movie exists that's fair and that's what i what i love is that it feels like you're watching only i feel like only denzel would interpret this text in this way because he has such like a unique kind of charisma to him and he makes the very technical dialogue feel so natural Mm -hmm. like like you're saying sort of in the beginning it feels sort of casual and i think because of the way that it's filmed with the the camera work i feel like it sort of gives him the room to be more intimate with the dialogue because we have these huge close-up moments and yeah I you know I think he really modulates the performance well because he you have those smaller moments in the beginning and eventually becoming more and more mad and he becomes louder and louder and it like it really does like he really crafts a real journey Mm -hmm. with this character even though this story has been seen and done so many times it it feels like it's sort of still fresh in in his hands, I guess. And what would you pick for his Oscar scene? Nick, I know that you mentioned you could pick like quite a few really throughout the movie, but did mm-hmm. you settle on one? I did. I went with his monologue after he kills Duncan and he's coming down the steps and like it flashes to Lady Macbeth's like shocked face as he's explaining what he did. I think it's great. Yeah. What about you two? Um, well, the one I just singled out is kind of just a, a famous line from the text itself, but just the way he does it is so well, which is just towards the end going down the stairs 
after he realizes what's happened with Lady Macbeth and he's doing the whole thing of, you know, it's a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying mm-hmm. nothing. Um, I, I just love how it, it's just like there's so much character in the way he turns that phrase. Um, I also just wanted to highlight the the part where he's on the throne and he's just like talking about the lily liver boy <laughs> and with the way face. I think that would also play well. That line delivery is so good. It makes me laugh. I know it's like at that <laughs> point we should be really sad watching this, but it's, I mean, it's just perfect Denzel. Yeah. <laughs> Mine would be the, what is this dagger I see before me? The handle toward my hand when we just see him walking towards that doorway and you just start to feel mm. that transition in the story as he's getting more mad and more power hungry Um, but you also I think that's when his performance really clicked in for me yeah we just said three different scenes and there could be like three more Mm -hmm. that other people could say and it'd be like yeah Mm -hmm. use that (laughs) okay so now we'll get to the fun part that we do on these contenders episodes we share what our write-in vote would be who we think should win and who we think will win Kevin you can go first who would your write-in vote be? My write-in vote, I had a, quite a few contenders here to choose from, but if I were to choose one, I would say Simon Rex for Red Rocket, which I think is like such a deeply committed performance. And, you know, having actually talked to him, maybe I'm just biased oh because I sort of like know his process. He had three days <laughs> to prepare for this part. Like Whoa. that's how... <laughs> down to the last minute that this was happening and yeah he just like he understood this character right away because he had been in hollywood for so many years and had dealt with a lot of assholes (laughs) to be frank uh just very similar to him uh this character and yeah i think the way he managed to really again i feel like it's sort of like in keeping with some of the performances we've been talking about which is playing someone who's deeply flawed and just kind of an asshole but then he has like a weird sort of charisma to him that makes you want to just keep watching him almost in like a train wreck Mm -hmm. sort of way um just to like see what new lows he's going to reach next so yeah i think that would also just be a cool nomination when you consider his career and sort of like his where he's come from and just yeah so i feel like that would have been one of my adventurous cool nominations that i was talking about in the beginning that they could have made but it was never gonna happen when i left the movie i was like damn it they're not gonna nominate him like he (laughs) but i was just like he needs to be nominated (laughs) the performance is just incredible it's like he is flying through the air with no safety net ever it's a good pick nick what about you you know i'm gonna go for the performance that I would say should be here over at least one. The movie that really didn't come out until after voting had happened and wasn't pushed. This is Cyrano. I am going to nominate Peter Dinklage. The newcomer, he was the best part of that movie. And I think he's a deserving actor. He's doing, I think, a different kind of acting that we don't see a lot of in these five for better or worse, I'm not saying it's the best, but he's showing us different sides. And even though his singing is more like talk singing, he's a deserving actor. And he was, he gave a really rousing speech at the Gotham Awards. And 
you know, he'll get his time in the spotlight at some point. It's not right now, uh, but I think it could have been. I just love your journey with Cyrano and that we're here. <laughs> For all the hate that we gave it, I had I had to do something nice. <laughs> Growth. Growth. I was between two. Simon Rex was my other choice. But since you said him, I'll go with my other pick. It's, Live your it, truth. I mean, always my truth. It's Adam Driver and Annette. It has to be. I mean, this performance just yeah. has such a high degree of difficulty, I think. There's so much to pull off. He, like Simon Rex in Red Rocket, is a complete asshole in this movie. He's a character you do not want to root for. Very complicated man. He performs stand-up comedy. He sings. He has a puppet baby. I mean, there's so much that he's doing here. And I think for the movie to work, you have to have a person who can pull all of that off in this lead role, playing Henry McHenry. And Adam Driver is really the only choice for that. So... I would have loved to see him here, but he was nominated for a Cesar, which is probably more impressive for an American than an Oscar. Definitely. All good picks. Mm-hmm. Would have loved to see a lineup with all three of them, actually. <laughs> <Wasn't> good. <laughs> yeah. So who do you think should win, Kevin? I think Benedict Cumberbatch should win, but I do not think that he will. I mean, I've, I've, I've definitely praised him very heavily when we were talking about him, but it's, it truly did come out of nowhere for me. Like how just how good he was in this and totally surpassed any expectations I had and really just is like creating a character that this that's very hyperbolic but it's just one of those like unforgettable performances for me in the vein of like not quite there but like a Daniel Day-Lewis and there will be blood kind of similarity for me in terms of just like this is a very not good person (laughs) here that he's playing and yet there's something weirdly hypnotic about what he's doing that I'm weirdly drawn in by it for really similar reasons I will say Benedict Cumberbatch should also win he fully transforms and just shocked me by how much I loved him in this. Well, I'm going to say Will Smith just because and go against both of you. (laughs) Swerve. (laughs) Ooh, she's different. (laughs) And you're going to be really happy, I feel, because who do you think will win? I would say it's Will Smith. It just, it feels like it's going to be him. It is. Signed, sealed, delivered for Will Smith, I think. (sighs) Yeah, the his SAG speech was great. I don't necessarily think it's a career best, but it fits, you know, it's sort of his time, as bad as that sounds. Yeah, it's going to happen. I know some people are saying, like, Benedict could win BAFTA, and then we're going to get this Anthony Hopkins type of situation. I just don't see that happening. I don't see the comparison there. I would love for it to happen, but King Richard is very popular with the Academy, and so is Will Smith. I feel like there's clear support in many different branches. So it's not Mm -hmm. just actors. I I will say I was entertaining the possibility of Andrew Garfield, like coming up the middle (laughs) scenario, probably like December, January. I was sort of feeling like, oh my God, everyone's talking about Andrew Garfield. Like, and everyone, it just felt like so many things were coalescing with Spider-Man and everything like that. Uh, But yeah, I feel like maybe it died down a little Mm -hmm. bit now. Yeah. I could see that too with like maybe SAG, but then when Will got SAG, it's like, okay, this is just the way that it's going to go it's the over. rest of the season. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to the best category, best actress. 
Our nominees here, we have Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Olivia Coleman for The Lost Daughter, Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers, Nicole Kidman for Being the Ricardos, and Kristen Stewart for Spencer. What are your thoughts on this group as a whole? I am very fascinated by this combination of performances, specifically the characters that are here. Just from doing my own show, I sort of like to analyze like what is the sort of message that is being sent with the nominations and like the kinds of characters they are. It's just very interesting to me that we have two very classic Beatty biopic performances with Jessica Chastain and Nicole Kidman. You know, you could say that they sort of follow the same path and appeal to the same voter. And then you have these other two performances with Penelope Cruz and Olivia Coleman, both of them playing original characters who are sort of like complicated mother types dealing very exclusively with motherhood and daughters and just like all of these heavy themes. And then it's like this weird Venn diagram where right in the middle of that is Kristen Stewart because it's like a biopic performance, but it's very non-traditional She's also playing a mother, and it's sort of like a more complicated type of thing in the vein of those more complicated mothers. So it's just like a weird sort of like everything working at once for me, just looking at what these performances, these characters are. And always annoying to me just how much we have like not much overlap with Best Picture and Best Actress, you know, in this Uh, particular race there's none in best picture and the most nominations for any is i think both the lost daughter and being the ricardos both with three which is very Mm -hmm. low so yeah but overall i will say this i don't know if this is like a hot take or not but i think all five of these performances are very good and i don't feel like there's one here that like totally sticks out as bad for me so I'm okay with whoever wins this, generally speaking. I'm very middle of the road, like Kevin, what you're saying. I kind of want to feel like, oh my God, I want her and only her. And I don't (laughs) feel that this year. I obviously love Olivia Coleman always. So she's kind of my default. But as a collection, it just feels chaotic. I'm just very mixed on these. But like, I'm glad Penelope showed up. That was a little unexpected especially since this wasn't chosen as Spain's movie. So I'm glad she got in as like a an FU to <laughs> their nominating committee. What do you think of these five, Sophia? I just like, I feel like I've gotten to the point where my movie taste has just radically differed from the Academy. When I look at these nominees, I have one that would be in my personal top five for the year. I don't necessarily expect that to overlap, but I do, I think, expect to be more passionate about this category. And I'm also just kind of like, well, whatever happens, happens. And I am kind of wondering if that's just like award season fatigue or, you know, if because my very favorite didn't get nominated, I'm just kind of like burnt out here. But yeah, I think as a group, these performances are kind of what we were thinking might happen several months ago before we got any signs from different voting groups which is kind of odd and then of course we like change things up and 
we ended up right back where we started with Jessica and with Kristen. But I think this is a fairly good group if we're looking historically at best actress lineups. Yeah, Kevin, as you're going through the years, like, does this hold up? Like, are there images of like, oh, this is what happened in whatever year? Not really, just because I feel like these past two years in particular have truly been the most chaotic mm-hmm. I've ever seen in this category. So in, in the race, like the horse race aspect of it all, it's very, very new feeling mm-hmm. for me and <laughs> just how things are shaping up because again, going back to what I'm doing in the 40s, it feels like there's always like one super obvious front runner, like everyone's talking about her. Um, Like they've just emerged on the scene and oh my god, we have to reward this exciting new star. Whereas I feel like also lately, we've just sort of been rewarding a lot of, you know, older Mm -hmm. stars, which I think personally is a good thing. But I feel like we're sort of weirdly getting out of like the ingenue phase and I guess like the closest you could say here is Kristen Stewart but she's been in the business for so long now that it doesn't even really feel like that's the narrative for her so yeah this is going to be a wild one for me to get to whenever I get to that in like three Mm -hmm. years or something (laughs) (laughs) well let's just dive right in I think because I have some comparisons with Jessica Chastain maybe to some 40s ladies So Jessica Chastain, our first nominee here, she plays Tammy Faye Baker in The Eyes of Tammy Faye. This is her third nomination, previously for Zero Dark Thirty and The Help. So far this season, she just won SAG, and then was also nominated at Golden Globe and Critics' Choice. One, do we think she's going to win Critics' Choice? And then two, how does this nomination compare to other noms and her performances? I'm just going to make a call right here. She will win in a tie with Kristen Stewart. Oh my God. <laughs> because that is what they do. They're so fickle. They abandoned Nicole Kidman. The second Jessica Chastain won, yep. they were like, okay, we got to we gotta do our part here. Predict the Oscars. Yes. <laughs> that is their main goal. Because oh, Kristen Stewart is my, like, she's probably going to win Critics' Choice in a similar way that Carrie Mulligan did last year. So I can see that, but I could definitely see a tie happening. That would be very like them to do that. Mm -hmm. And technically speaking, like just looking at the nominations that Jessica got, like she did get a lot of critic notices. You know, I like to point to like when Glenn Close Mm -hmm. won, obviously, (laughs) uh, for in a tie with Lady Gaga a few years ago, where like, you look at that year and Glenn Close was like never winning any critics awards. And then suddenly she's winning best actress at the critics choice awards. Like, Oh, what a coincidence. I think just also thinking about like this nomination in comparison to her other nominations or performances in her career. I think Jessica Chastain has a ton of range. I do prefer her though, in those like smaller dramas. I love her in zero dark 30 I also think she was really good in Scenes from a Marriage this year with Oscar Isaac, who we've already mentioned today. I feel like I'll prefer her in um, projects like that, but I know that The Eyes of Tammy Faye was a personal project for her and one that she took on (laughs) with a lot of enthusiasm, something that she'd wanted to develop for years. So I feel like this is also, in a similar way to Will Smith for King Richard, this like culmination point for her as an actress when we look at just 
what this movie and what this performance means for her career. Yeah. I mean, I'll say that I've always sort of had a soft spot for Jessica Chastain ever since that big year of 2011 where she had like five different movies somehow at the same time. Um, So I don't know. I feel like I've always kind of been rooting for her in a way, even when some of the choices she's made are like baffling Mm -hmm. to me sometimes, (laughs) just like what roles she ends up in. I don't know. I think she sort of got typecast Mm -hmm. for a while after Zero Dark Thirty of just playing like these Mm -hmm. strong women who are very competent (laughs) at their jobs. And she definitely does that very well. But yeah, I mean, she is like a chameleon and she's definitely shape-shifting here Mm -hmm. in this role for sure. But when I heard she was doing this, I was actually kind of excited because, you know, I was vaguely familiar with Tammy Faye Baker and I felt like she could really excel in that kind of like campiness and like giving us the comedy and the drama so I think I definitely went into this really wanting to like her performance and some of the earlier scenes were a little off for me I think part of it was just like the makeup was interesting (laughs) in these like before she fully transforms into like the Tammy Faye we know and love so the beginning half really I felt like okay, I'm, I'm not really like feeling this as much as I want to be. But then when she does transform uh, and just like has all of the makeup on and is really like becoming Tammy Faye, Tammy Faye, that's when I feel like it really clicked into place for me. And she really finds the kind of humanity, I think, underneath all of that makeup and just of her wanting to just be such a just she just wants to be a good person. She wants the world to be a better place. And she doesn't understand why everyone is so mean all the time. Like she just has like a very pure spirit. And I think she just has a kind of likability as this character that you sort of just want to root for her, no matter what. I mean, the movie itself, I think, could definitely go deeper into like exploring how she was sort of complicit in a lot of the shady Mm -hmm. stuff that was happening with the bakers later on but i mean overall i think she did a pretty good job within the limitations of what the movie is nick what about you i have a different perspective on a lot of these because i hadn't seen i love lucy growing up i didn't really know who tammy baker was here So I'm seeing these people for the first time and trying to understand who they are. And I, I've said this before, I still saw Jessica through all of the prosthetics. I never really got lost in the character. Very different character choice for her, I agree. And that, I think, kind of pulled me out throughout the movie, just from how bizarre it was. And I mean, we were just laughing, I feel like throughout a lot of this when we saw this together Sophia so mm -hmm. I this is not one that I'm super hot on and I think her trajectory of like maybe taking the season I'm like still very confused by this is maybe her biggest performance and like most transformative of her career but I wouldn't say it's her best am I being mean I I mean, I think that's fair and understandable. I feel like I think the movie itself is kind of confused in what it's saying about Tammy Faye. And Jessica is kind of bringing that out in her interviews and in her campaigning. The perspective, I think, of who Tammy Faye was and how complicated her legacy is and trying to kind of shine a new light on her 
one that I think corresponds well with the documentary The Eyes of Tammy Faye that's narrated by RuPaul. I feel like that messaging is similar. But I also feel like Jessica's the only one who kind of gets what this movie should be, which is like camp. She almost is performing in it like she wants it to be a John Waters movie, not a Michael Showalter movie. Mm. And I do feel like what she's doing here, that would work best. I think that what she's doing in the second half of the movie is Tammy Faye's like really declining is really good work. It's fun to watch. The beginning, I do still see Jessica and I have a hard time with the prosthetic work that's there. But yeah, I think that there's something else that's there with her that's interesting is that she's incredibly earnest and she really wants an Oscar. And I don't mean that in like a mean, critical way, but I think that she... She's campaigning in a very particular way that I think that voters could connect with. I watched an interview with her and Nina West, the drag queen, talking about like Tammy Faye and how significant she was for the LGBTQ community and still is. So I think she's doing a lot in how she's talking about this performance. And I think she's proving to people that she understands a very specific read on Tammy Faye and one that is very kind to Tammy Faye and not critical of what she knew or what she didn't know that her husband was doing. And I think that that's, that would have been a more interesting movie as well. Yeah. I'm curious what you both thought of just the final scene for her where she's singing the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And it's sort of flashing to her like imagining what this performance is versus what it actually is. I, I will say just with that scene, I felt like I sort of wanted that sort of tone to be more present in the rest of the film of her being like a little mm-hmm. bit delusional and sort of like in her own mind with, you know, just everything about her. And I, I didn't want like this like very basic cradle to grave sort of approach that they took with it. I, I wanted it to be more like playing with different forms and stuff like that. Um, I'll just say for myself, I felt just watching that final scene, like even though the makeup is as wild as it's mm-hmm. ever been in that moment, and that can maybe take you out of it, perhaps, um, that that was the moment where I felt like, oh, this feels like when an Oscar voter gets to the end, they're like, oh my God, just like so taken aback by the commitment of, you know, mm-hmm. this actor. So I feel like the final scene really is like, you watch that and you either click into it or you're like, oh my God, what was that? I agree. Like that's the tone that I wanted from the movie. And that scene, like that proves that Jessica Chastain can do that and can go there. And I do think that is a really like powerful final scene because it's it's really sad. And I think it actually goes to that place where you start to think more about like, okay, if she had to be absolutely delusional that's always going to be something that's more compelling than wikipedia the movie which is what a lot of this felt like that final scene was i like lost it i'm like okay is this it are we done now (laughs) i'm gonna say quickly though like when my parents they've they're working their way through all these movies and i always like look to them to see like maybe how the academy will vote and of all of the performances (laughs) in this category they both were just fully convinced by Jessica and her transformation into Tammy Faye. They they fully bought it. So I can imagine a lot of Academy members feeling similarly. Yeah. 
I, I just feel like that that last scene is truly like kind of mm-hmm. a Rorschach test of like and and you see there with your parents and Nick <laughs> like you see like the differences there Nick all of you go first for this one what would you pick for her Oscar scene if you had to pick a scene for her um, I was going to jokingly say when she pulls the chair to like the big boy table and like scooches in, <laughs> she doesn't say much there. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll pick a better scene. And it's when she's like taking the drug, she's sipping her diet Coke and she comes downstairs or she's actually in the background when uh, Andrew Garfield is talking to this guy trying to partner into this water park. And she's just like in the kitchen hoarding food, but she comes in and like saves the conversation by convincing him. So I think she's again doing a lot here, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but seeing her convince him, I think is a really great moment. Yeah, that is a good moment. I, I haven't heard a lot of people mention that, but that is a good moment where it feels like we're actually seeing like a different side, Mm -hmm. at least to that character. I mean, honestly, it's the scene with the AIDS patient. Like, it's it's super obvious, but, like, her interview with the, the gay man who has AIDS is just, like, perfect, like, encapsulation of an Oscar clip of, like, anything we're going to talk mm-hmm. about today. <laughs> so, yeah. I have the exact same one. I feel like it's super obvious, but that's probably what they're going to pick. Kevin, I want to ask you, before we move on to Olivia Coleman about Jessica... Are you having like serious whiplash no. with a redhead and a biopic being nominated <laughs> again after spending so much time in the 40s with Greer? Yeah, a little bit. Although I will say that Jessica definitely gives me more <laughs> as an on-screen persona than Greer. So there's That's that fair. at least. But yeah, mm-hmm. Oscar loves a redhead. <laughs> okay, we'll move right along to Olivia Coleman in The Lost Daughter. She plays a woman named Leda. She's playing a real person, as in like an original character, from the Elena Ferrante novel. Precursors and just her career here. This is her third Oscar nomination. She was nominated last year for The Father, and she won for The Favorite. I'm sorry, Kevin. That's a sore spot for you. Okay. I know. I know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's the truth. I get it. This season, (laughs) she was nominated at the Golden Globes, SAG, and Critics' Choice, and she won a Gotham Award. What do you guys think of Olivia's performance in The Lost Daughter, and how does this nomination maybe compare to her other nominations and performances in her career? Hmm. Well, first of all, I will say, like, this is an incredible Mm -hmm. role that I feel like so many actresses probably her age would have loved to have taken on (laughs) even if it's like very tricky material I I could definitely see a lot of people being like damn I wish I could have gotten this part (laughs) there's so much to Mm -hmm. chew on because I feel like this is also a role that gives a lot of flexibility to whoever is the performer to really sort of play with all the different layers of it and the different tones and really create a very complex person who is you know, going after what she wants and she feels good about things that she's done, but also is feeling guilt at the same time. She's taken this doll, even though she doesn't even really know why she did that. And we as an audience might not know why she does that. Um, But there's just a lot of layers for her to play with. And I feel like she could have played it in a way that is more obvious or really like made her into this person who just never should have been a mother and she's just this awful person. But she has these moments where she is 
more caring or she's like you know on the verge of tears and I, I feel like she just has so much empathy for the character and just like how much pain she's in and I think that's been consistent through all three of the performances that she's been nominated for is like finding some true empathy for who she's playing and just bringing out a little bit of a relatability almost you know for the audience even if someone like queen anne is like hysterical and doing all these over-the-top things you still sort of like feel bad for her at the end of the day and same thing with the father and then here i don't know if you're having like the same feelings of like i feel bad for her but it's like i understand Mm -hmm. her what's interesting i've also is that like even if this might not be her most likable character quote-unquote likable that she's played from these nominations it, it also feels like it's like the most raw and probably the most relatable and the one that she's showing like a different kind of person than we're used to seeing on screen compared to like you know the mad queen mm-hmm. type of trope that we've seen many times in film or with the father like that's a very easy character to understand like this is one where you're kind of having to work to understand this character, which, again, is something that I tend to find more rewarding than biopics. Nick, what about you? <laughs> yeah, this is definitely a movie and a performance that you have to be plugged into the whole time. My brain, like, once it flipped a switch and I was, like, finally understanding what was happening, I was like, oh, my God, this is so good. And obviously, Olivia is all the time you know from tv to film everything from the crown to broad church to the favorite being one of my favorite wins just because it's also very off the wall we got to see a great side of olivia there and i think here it's so restrained and playing off of jesse buckley is also dakota johnson playing alongside her we're always asking like why is she doing this? What is she doing? Where are we going? You know, who is she running from being and who is she trying to be? I think Maggie Gyllenhaal did a really great job with the script, with the directing and showcasing these performances and especially Olivia. We have a lot of range from her. And I think by the end, you, you come full circle, you fully understand what is happening in her head. And I really loved it. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think she's great here. I always think about one of my favorite best picture wins of all time, Ordinary People. People can criticize it, but one of the things that's most successful about that movie is that you have very complicated characters and you have to wonder how those actors got those performances. And part of it is having a director who was an actor first. And I think having Maggie Gyllenhaal here... I feel that she's getting these performances out of her actors that like I've never seen before. When you see someone like Olivia Coleman here, who's this very real person who does not want to, who realizes that like motherhood just isn't for her. Like that's more normal than people would like to admit. And she's just in top form. And I feel like Hall, you can see by the way that the camera moves here, she sees that in Olivia. She sees that she's doing something different and that she's found something in this character and she's bringing it to the forefront. And I feel like with Olivia Coleman, what's so powerful about her is that 
she has this look in her eyes that she's a little ornery, a little bit up to something, and we don't quite know what it is yet. And for a story like this that's a character study, but that's also this sort of odd, twisty thriller, that is perfect. Like, you need an actor who can who can do that, who can be really raw, like you said, and who can have this, have something kind of hidden behind her eyes that you're waiting to come out, and it does um, throughout the movie. So I feel like Gyllenhaal and Coleman are a great match as a director-actor pair. She really brings a lot out of her, and I feel like it is such a great nomination for her because her other characters, I mean, every nomination that she has here is so different. It shows her range, but also her likability as a performer even though she's playing characters that are far from likable in most cases specifically I think this movie and the favorite so I'm a big fan of her performance and of this nomination too yeah there's there's just like so much character in Mm -hmm. her face you know and I think yeah what Maggie Gyllenhaal's doing with like these extreme close-ups and the sort of lingering shots that we have of her is really like such a gift for her and shows how much trust she had in Mm -hmm. Olivia and to not have like have to rely on voiceovers Mm -hmm. or like these big scenes of dialogue where we're explaining everything like we just understand her because she's showing us she's not telling us which is which is great she just Mm -hmm. lets it all play out on her face yeah she has so many great scenes with just her reacting to Mm -hmm. what's happening around her just like we see from like I don't know how long it goes on but it feels like the first 30 or 45 minutes is just like her on the beach sort of just looking at everyone around her and we're we're getting so much just from that and also like obviously the scene in the movie theater which is like the most relatable thing that I've seen in a film in (laughs) years (laughs) personally speaking Mm -hmm. yes or just like the scene where she's talking to Dakota Johnson and it's in those extreme close-ups and she's saying that, you know, she felt amazing that she left her kids behind for three years. Just the different, all of like, there's a kaleidoscope of emotions mm-hmm. that are happening there on mm-hmm. her face. And when she's tearing up, it's just, my God. I mean, it's it's amazing, honestly. You know, I I like to obviously poke fun at like the Glenn Close mm-hmm. Olivia Coleman sort of feud <laughs> thing from that year, but like I truly have felt like so positively about Olivia, even in spite of everything that happened there. She's an incredible performer, and she's so versatile. And I'm just honestly sort of happy that it feels like she's like become a proper movie star now in a way, which is like incredible. It's so crazy. We've gone from her first nomination in The Favorite, to now she's sort of like this Meryl type of character who just gets nominated, who churns out these outstanding performances year after year. So that's really exciting. And you mentioned so many great scenes. I think my Oscar scene for her would be when she's talking to Dakota Johnson about leaving her children. And we just get that masterful ability to show emotion there. And she just says it felt amazing through these tearful eyes. Did they use the movie theater scene for SAG? Mm-hmm. They did. Yeah, they did. That's so what good. I thought. Okay. And they had to like they had to like bleep out some of her lines. 
Well, that is my scene, and I want the unedited version because it is too yeah. good. So <laughs> That's something also, like, if we're watching this, like, an average person who hasn't seen these movies, I would be like, what mm-hmm. is this movie? I have to watch this. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, like, yeah, get some eyeballs on it. So next up, we have Penelope Cruz. She plays Janice in Parallel Mothers. This is her fourth nomination after Volver, Vicky Cristina Barcelona, which she won for, and then nine. This season, she doesn't have any of the major precursors, but she did win at the LA Film Critics Association this year, also National Society of Film Critics, and the Volpe Cup. So how do we feel about Penelope's work with Almodovar in Parallel Mothers? This is a great performance, you know, (laughs) and I'm so happy that she actually got this nomination after all, even in spite of all those precursor misses, because like this is like a true example for me of a performance really making a film work and like why you need an actress like Penelope Cruz to really handle this really tricky material, because I feel like there are a lot of different versions of this movie that could maybe fall flat or just be like ridiculous melodrama territory and go for those kinds of like cheap emotions in a way. And I think it's because literally because of her that the film works as well as it does. And also, I just want to shout out her co-star too, Milena Smith, who plays Anna. Um, who I think is really great. But yeah, this is incredible work from her. And playing a character who, again, you might not agree with maybe her actions and this decision that she makes to withhold this information about the whole switched at birth situation. But you understand why she does what she does. And you feel the pain here, again, here, what she's going through. Actually, I'll say that, like, when you had asked me to be on this episode, I felt like I probably didn't need to, like, rewatch too many of these because they were still pretty fresh in my mind. But this is actually one that I did revisit. I, just, I, I felt like I sort of just wanted to further appreciate, like, the subtlety and the layers here that maybe weren't as memorable as some of, like, the bigger performances necessarily. But... I'm very glad I did because I found so much more on this second watch here. And I really took note of just like the physicality of the performance too. I mean, it's easy to sort of just talk about the internal work that she's doing, but there's also so much that she's expressing just with her body and just like how she carries herself. And um, I also like wrote down, like there's like a, sweatiness to her if that makes sense just like you can really feel how much this is like draining her this situation um like you really do feel it at least I do just like the burden that's been put on her and I think you really just really again you end up sympathizing with her and that's not easy to do if you feel like a certain way about you know her not coming forward with what she knows about the whole situation and everything. So another really, really complex performance here. And one that I think like this performance and Olivia Coleman are going to age very well as nominees compared to others. Yeah. I love this performance. When I first saw this, I was just floored by her work here and the emotions like in her performance 
she almost seems just exhausted throughout this movie by this, like the weight of this secret. And it, I think is my favorite collaboration between Penelope Cruz and Pedro Almodovar, because I just, you can feel that they're so in sync, but she brings so much to it. I feel like in the early section of the movie, when she has this secret and she's lying to herself and to others, you can see how much she's withholding and how all of those emotions are kind of trapped inside of her. And you can feel, I think, along with the score and with the screenplay, that this bomb is about to go off. And I think she modulates really well throughout the movie when you're thinking about like the tone and the pacing and just how the story moves. I just feel like this role is also so challenging when I think about the others like yes some of the other ones they're playing like real people and they have to transform but I will always be drawn I think to performances like this you mentioned the physicality very important just the way that she moves throughout the frame the way she clings to that baby is fascinating I think in playing this complicated woman and mother so I love this performance I think it's just great work from her Yeah, this and Olivia, Kevin, you mentioned how these movies are about motherhood. I think we're getting, these are the two most nuanced performances that we have. I love Penelope. I also think she is Almodovar's best muse. And I love how she plays with melodrama. I mean, that is Almodovar, but we we get to see restraint, lots of emotion. And as a mother here too, I think we get to see like the best sides of Penelope. And this is another movie where, Sophia, like you were saying before about Will Smith, how he lets other people in the scene rise to the occasion. I think she's doing the same thing here with all of her supporting actresses. Yeah, it's a great ensemble led by women. Like all the performances mm-hmm. are really good. She's, she's a very generous actor. That is a testament, I think, to a good actor is someone who can really play so well off of another actor even if they are like lesser (laughs) in -hmm. terms of reputation is really just giving it the same kind of energy that she would give to any of the people she was playing with in nine for example (laughs) quite a few people from nine in the oscar conversation this year (laughs) yeah big reunion nicole judy dench (laughs) if only daniel day lewis was back it's okay yeah (laughs) So what would you guys choose for Penelope's Oscar scene? Um, The one I picked was the part where she is like snapping kind of at Anna Mm -hmm. about like wanting to excavate this mass grave um, and tells her that it's like time that she knew about the history of Spain and this, you know, the Civil War. And uh, we really see some, like, real depth of feeling there and how much she's been, like, carrying so much emotion that's been, like, buried for her. And it just all sort of is coming out in that moment. And that's really, like, before she actually reveals the truth of what's happened to Anna. So, like, anything really from that section, I think, is probably her at her best. Just that, like, boiling point Mm -hmm. sort of moment. Yeah, she has a few of those in the movie. I picked a different one where she comes home and the babysitter is 
listening to music and she's like the headphones again and she like yeah. picks up the baby she's like what if you know you can't keep her on her back what if she vomits so just like a good short showcase for her acting abilities her breadth of acting mm-hmm. i like both of those Mine would be the scene when she gets the email that the test results are in from the first maternity test, and she sees that that verdict, right, that she's not the biological mother, and you just, like, feel that her world is crashing down. But I think here it's where you you really see how precise she is as an actress with her emotions and, like, when to withhold, when to let them out, and it could have been like a melodrama it could have been so soapy but it feels just really believable and you really feel for her in that moment you wonder that's about like 40 minutes in like really where it can go next Mm -hmm. from there and credit to her in that scene for like making a shot that basically looks like zoom right exactly (laughs) (laughs) you know actually feel like the emotion Mm -hmm. of that definitely you know Okay, let's move on to our next nominee, Nicole Kidman, for Being the Ricardos, who plays Lucille Ball. This is her fifth Oscar nomination. She was nominated previously for Moulin Rouge. She won for The Hours, which I love that win. She was also nominated for Rabbit Hole and Lion. This season, she was nominated at Critics' Choice and SAG, and she won the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Drama. What do you guys think of this nomination, the performance, and just how it compares to the rest of her career? First of all, her Oscar track record is so chaotic to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) It is like very not indicative of what you think of Nicole Kidman performances as like the highest of honors. It just uh, it doesn't make sense to me, honestly. I don't really know how this really relates to any of them because it's like <laughs> there is no rhyme or reason to it for me. <laughs> but uh, this is, you know, it's a very committed performance. Um, she's been very open about how this is the hardest part that she's ever taken on, which, you know, is saying a lot considering all these different roles that she's taken on over however many decades now. But I think you can tell that she is putting in a lot of effort and like trying to nail the voice mm-hmm. and the mannerisms and also using a different voice for the I Love Lucy portions, like acting within acting, essentially. And I've I've heard Lucille's normal speaking voice just from interviews and things like that. It's not that far off to her mm-hmm. credit of her actual speaking voice, you know. Yes, there is like a little hint of Nicole's natural accent Mm -hmm. sometimes but it's not as bad as something like the undoing or (laughs) or things like that where it's like barely even concealed like Mm -hmm. how is this person supposed to be American kind of thing so yeah but she really does I think at least get the pitch of the voice really well Um, and she has just like that sort of commanding presence also and just like a kind of brassiness I guess that you don't really see that much from Nicole Kidman because I feel like she's she's often playing these more like ethereal types of characters sometimes so this is I guess this is a little more grounded than we're used to seeing from her but yeah I mean I always saw Nicole Kidman 
<laughs> speaking to mm-hmm. what Nick was saying, like always seeing Jessica Chastain. This is an example where I never really thought that this was Lucille Ball. So of this lineup is probably the weak point for me, but A for effort. <laughs> That's what I would say. <laughs> you know, I get it. Like she she's better than Javier. She's the highlight of the movie actually for me, but still is sort of like so made for tv movie feeling at the same time that it's like i don't know if it really belongs here we do get a different kind of nicole the swearing nicole is like ooh, look at me but i think there are parts where i got into it and then like something else took me out so i kind of was in this movie in waves of starting to see this person that she's playing and then just like something dumb would happen or we see her running across a lawn with a bottle of wine oh, yeah. and I literally had no idea that was her. So I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but <laughs> probably not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sophia. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to really it's help really... here. <laughs> um, I think this movie is just awful. I mean, it really, it's, it's really, really bad. And I think that if I'm thinking just about the performance, playing Lucille Ball is really hard because there's no one like her. She has this wild career arc. She was in millions of houses in the 50s. And she has this like naturally explosive, chaotic energy. And Nicole, as a performer, she's just this very elegant, restrained, patrician beauty. And that, they just don't match. I think that she's pretty good in the scenes when she is Lucille Ball. Though for this movie to work, both sides, the Lucille Ball and the Lucy Ricardo, because of the way that Aaron Sorkin has structured this movie, have to work. Both of them have to work or the performance doesn't work. I don't think the performance works for me because of the Lucy Ricardo scenes in particular. When we're getting the episodes from I Love Lucy, my buy-in was at on the floor. Like I just, I couldn't get there and it was just it was hard for me to like connect with her I feel like in the scenes when we see her as this businesswoman and we see her like working with the tv execs I was more interested in that part and what Nicole was doing there but the best Lucy performance this year to me was Christine Ebersole and Licorice Pizza not Nicole Mm -hmm. Kidman and being the Ricardos I feel like she got the energy a little bit better and that also could be because PTA is a better director than Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, you could say that. That's a, that's <laughs> that a, a fair, fair take. assessment? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know many people that would disagree necessarily. <laughs> but I think maybe that also speaks to just when she was sort of allowed to just be and without really having to like try to focus on impersonating who she was as Lucy Ricardo in the sort of you know, mythos of what we know and love of I Love Lucy. The moments behind the scenes where she's sort of just allowed to be this practical businesswoman are probably her at her best, Mm -hmm. I would say, because it feels like more natural. Kind of going back to the beginning of what you said about her Oscar trajectory and just her nominations, it's just so strange. Like, of course, she's nominated here for this Sorkin biopic when she, I think, is known for her originality and her career as more of a risk taker, like taking on these challenging original women. And here we have something that's kind of like standard Oscar bait. So 
that bums me out a little bit. But I don't think the performance is entirely bad. Like, I feel like people are ragging on it a little too much when the movie is the problem here, not necessarily the performance. The performance might be like a symptom of that. I was just going to say, I sort of just again disagree on the premise of her really being in this role Mm -hmm. (laughs) necessarily even though I think people were very mean about just like her appearance and things like that when she was first cast and everyone's like oh they should have gotten Deborah Messing and it's just I I can't handle that conversation again uh but I also just feel like it wasn't quite there for me I think we could have gotten like you know I mean Kate Blanchett actually does make sense she was originally lined up to play the role but she left for I think creative differences not a surprise and I I mean I I imagine her I imagine like Tony Collette would have been very interesting in this part so I don't know I think of a lot of different how how about Jessica Chastain why not just do (laughs) Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain give the people what they want another redhead in a biopic (laughs) yeah (laughs) Honestly, now I'm just like, you said the before about like Patricia and everything. And I'm like, they totally would have had Greer Garson playing this role <laughs> if they decided mm-hmm. to do this in like the 60s oh or something. God. Yeah, Sorkin. I feel like <clears throat> Sorkin would have loved her. So what would your Oscar scenes be? I mean, probably the, the whole, like the scene that was practically written as like an Oscar scene, which is like, I am the biggest asset in the portfolio of the Columbia Broadcasting System and all that whole monologue thing. Mm-hmm. Probably just that. Yeah. I feel like mine would be when she like brings back Vivian Vance and William Frawley like back in the middle of the night. And she has this speech about like her life and this curse that a witch puts on a girl about being adored by a man you love. It's like very Sorkin, very like West Wing feeling. I think she's good in that scene and it feels very much like it would be her Oscar scene. Isn't that like the same scene or is it like? similar i don't know i think it anyway. is maybe i think this movie honestly like, it's all over the place for me it's all a blur i get yeah. it i get it what they should do is play the amc intro yes i mean <laughs> let's be real that's what got her the nomination mm-hmm. <laughs> um but yeah the ending that's the main thing there are some scenes where she's talking to vivian that are pretty good but again it's kind of all the same so hmm. <laughs> All right, Nick, are you ready to talk about okay. Spencer? <sighs> These last two, I'm just, I'm dying here. Our final nominee, we have Kristen Stewart playing Princess Diana in Spencer. This is her first nomination. This season, she's shown up at Golden Globes and Critics' Choice and has taken home 22 Critics' Circle prizes, which is insane. Probably even more, she just took home the Hollywood Critics Association the other day. So how does this nomination compare to her other performances all the way from Panic Room? Yeah, also I just realized this is the only first-timer that we're talking about Mm -hmm. of all of these performances. Mm -hmm. That's wild. Hmm. It really is. Speaking of rubber stamping. (laughs) (laughs) My God. (laughs) I will say for this, I do think that this is her probably entering a new era of her career here Mm -hmm. for better or for worse of what you think about this performance I feel like this will be seen as like an inflection point um and and it's wild that she's like still so young and yet has had like so many different phases of her career with 
Twilight and like all these indie things that she's done recently. And with this, I do feel like it plays to her strengths as like a very internal actress that she really sort of excelled at with things like, you know, Personal Shopper, Clouds of Sils Maria, that whole style. But then also, I think here, it's definitely going to more extreme emotions than we're used to seeing from her and is delivering like a kind of performance that is more sympathetic, I would say, than the sort of like cool, distant sort of thing that she usually tends to do. So, I mean, it's a very inspired casting choice, first of all, to have someone playing Diana who has like her own issues with fame and like a kind of shyness to her and I do think that she taps into some of those reserved feelings for this performance so like if you look at it on paper and you're like Kristen Stewart as Diana what is happening you definitely see the reason why this casting choice kind of does make sense so I personally thought that she was very good. I understand why other people feel like this was like a miss um, and that the movie is kind of like, what are we doing here? But yeah, I think this is a movie that is like very on the nose mm-hmm. overall. I assume both of you were much more mixed on it than I was, but <laughs> I thought it sort of succeeded even if like, again, it's very on the nose. I just feel like it's, it's a very go for broke kind of approach that it has and also what she has and I don't know I think she sort of taps into just like the fragile nature of Diana even if you might not like the approach that Pablo Lorraine gives to the story she does at least tap into that for me so I was personally happy with this nomination but totally get it if you weren't (laughs) yeah no I think so I'm gonna say this I know people take things personally because they really care about certain performances. And this year, people really care about Kristen Stewart's performance. And I feel like online, it was to a point where dissent was not allowed. I always just find that weird when that kind of thing happens. And when she was nominated, I thought, oh, no, okay, the time has come. I have to share my opinion. I had been so good and like hadn't said anything really for so long. But I think what I'll say is just that I like Kristen Stewart as an actor. I Her standout performance to me will always be Clouds of Sils Maria. I think that's her best work to date. I also love her in Panic Room, Personal Shopper. To me, my issues, though, actually specifically come from Pablo Lorraine. I think that what Kristen Stewart is doing here is actually what Pablo Lorraine wants. I feel like she understands the assignment, as they say. I just don't like the assignment. And I think that like she definitely gets into that like very fragile person with a lot of like ticks who kind of like quivers and moves through rooms in a very particular way and in a way that I never imagined Diana, this people's princess to do I think that and that was a hard thing for me and I think that the screenwriting here is just like incredibly uneven I couldn't really go where Stephen Knight wanted me to go to me Pablo Lorraine just isn't really interested in Diana Spencer like he's interested in a particular type of woman but it felt like a gimmick to use Diana in this movie in this way when he could have just made a haunted house movie or made a movie about a woman who felt trapped in a house I just didn't really know why it had to be this sort of voyeuristic biopic where during the Q&A he said it's all in her head 
And that to me just like rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, it's really irresponsible to portray a real woman in this way. I just didn't really understand it. But I do think that Stuart gives the performance that Lorraine wants. I was just so disconnected from this movie from about 20 minutes in on that I could just never really get on board with this. I do think that the meta aspect of the casting of Kristen Stewart is interesting, right? Like she has a very specific relationship with the public. It is a very like millennial approach. Diana, if we think about her, she's always been like the most available or most accessible person in the royal family for people to connect with. And I think that that works really well with the persona of Stuart. So I really like the idea there. I just didn't buy or appreciate the execution. That's my piece. (laughs) Thank you for Mm -hmm. your bravery. (laughs) Lorraine just makes her into such a weak person. And I, again, I don't really know Princess Diana. I didn't grow up with her. I'm assuming she wasn't this horribly weak and fragile person inside. Like I'm assuming she had some sense of dignity to herself. Because the way, and I think my issue with a lot of these movies are why I'm mixed on these groups of actors nominated is that some of these movies aren't great, but the actors are doing what they can and have to with the material. And in that regard, I think Kristen Stewart did a great job. It's funny that this is maybe the only performance where I got lost in the character and didn't see Kristen Stewart at times. I think the hair, the costumes, all of the aspects around her do a really good job in masking Kristen. So I did like that. I did not expect to come out of that movie feeling that way. Every other part of this movie, the script, what Kristen Stewart has to do is like, I am so sorry for you. (laughs) Some of these things, oh my god, I just, I can't. Like, the shots to Anne Boleyn, everything is just so heavy-handed. I'm very shocked that she's won so many critics' prizes. Not that it was bad, it's just seeing her win so many and not be the favorite or the front-runner for the Oscars is just, they were very separate this year. I think it's important to also say, though, that, like, she didn't win any major critics' prizes. Like, these are all just, like, regional critics' prizes. Smaller ones. Yeah, And sometimes, like, those all kind of accumulate or they start to go in a similar direction. I hear what you're saying. I also think, just talking about the voice quickly, because that was something I actually thought worked pretty well. Like, I think she nails her voice in certain parts. The harder part for me was that I had trouble almost understanding her in certain parts because she does this kind of like breathy, like very quiet thing. But again, I think that's a Lorraine <laughs> yeah. direction. I I feel like mm-hmm. usually when you describe something as like self-conscious, it has more of a negative connotation. But I do think there was something very intentional and very mm-hmm. self-conscious about a lot of her choices with like the head tilts and like the emphasis on certain words mm-hmm. and just like, with the way she walks even Mm -hmm. like it's all so careful like so carefully planned out and it does for me at least give this feeling of diana feeling like Mm -hmm. i feel so removed from this family and feeling like i have to really fit a role that i don't feel like i fully belong in and i will definitely agree that like the 
extent to which she is like made to be this like fragile bird <laughs> can feel like a little much and especially again when you compare it to like how beloved she was it's a little bit incongruous feeling at times but yeah i mean it's it's a kind of performance where i i definitely get it when people say that like it did not work for them at all and i get mm-hmm. it when people say that the movie didn't work for them specifically even if they liked kristen and how that may inform why for example like she missed at sag or she just the movie didn't have much of a presence outside of her like she sort of worked in spite yeah. of the strange choices of the movie i guess so what would you guys pick as her oscar scene um i just like all the scenes with her kids where she's interacting with them where it feels like she gets to actually like breathe and be comfortable and warm and like have this maternal presence that we haven't really seen that much from Kristen Stewart before so yeah there's the there's the scene where she's uh, I think whichever kid it is I think it's William says that um, she he's like asking her about being the queen and she just says that she just wants to be their mom I think is really just gentle and sort of tender moment I think like honestly if you take out a lot of scenes from this movie out of context it plays very laughable <laughs> to like a mainstream mm-hmm. Oscar audience so I think like a more tender quiet moment might be probably best to sell why this performance is nominated because like the pearl eating scene I don't think it's like <laughs> a great scene to show for example and there's like this weird like discordant score that is just like so over the top sometimes that I feel like like a quieter moment would work but yes yeah I like when they're it's nighttime and they're in their room and I think they're talking about Christmas I, I do really right. like that I was gonna joke and say the pea soup scene <laughs> <laughs> and she bites down on the pearl like oh my god mm-hmm in a funny way but also she doesn't say anything in this scene it's all in her face so there is some like great acting coming from that it's funny you mentioned the literal discordant music like that came up as the subtitle but then the cut to the actual orchestra playing this music i lost it i love that moment i genuinely (laughs) laughed in the theater me too (laughs) oh boy (laughs) I actually picked the pearl soup moment just for fun because can you imagine? I mean, that just like is the perfect moment, especially because she's going to be the last nominee red. Yeah. <laughs> you just have all these like very Oscar-y scenes beforehand and then you get her eating the pearls and the soup as her Oscar scene. I feel like that's good. But they probably will go for one with her talking to the boys. Those moments in the film like early on made me oddly emotional like it was a lot to think about diana and just her being a mom and what she wanted and you know what she how she felt trapped in this type of life but i would pick the pearls (laughs) i'm just imagining like they play the scene and then it flashes to kristen in the audience and she's like cringing cringing in her (laughs) chanel yes (laughs) so who would your write-in vote be it has to be for renato reinsva for the worst person in the world We'll still get to talk about this a little bit with screenplay coming very soon, but I loved her here. I think it's one of the more unique performances that we get this year. The brief moments that we did talk about it, we mentioned how we could connect with her as a millennial, as a 30-year-old, 
going through life, searching for love. And I feel like she just plays it so real and so relatable that it's super easy to dive into this movie and to kind of see yourself as Renata is. Yeah. I wonder how close she might have been to maybe getting a nomination Mm -hmm. considering the screenplay. Oh my God. Yeah. I feel like it was coming on very strong. That's so sad to think about. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. It's all right. (laughs) Kevin, what about you? Uh, Well, mine is going to be Tessa Thompson from Passing, which I think was really paid dust Mm -hmm. (laughs) for so much of the season. The movie itself and her in particular, outside of BAFTA, which is juried. So, like, I don't know if she would have been nominated with, like, a regular BAFTA voting membership. But, uh... That's another example of someone who I've really liked in the past, but has never really like super blown me away. Whereas here, I felt like she was so locked into that specific character and the voice work she was doing there was so unique Mm -hmm. um, and was a really layered performance of someone, again, speaking to like someone really holding in so much inside of her and all of this baggage I think she very much should have been tagging along with Ruth through this whole season and should have culminated in some Oscar nominations, but here we are. I agree. I mean, as much as I love Ruth's performance, I was sad that Tessa wasn't along with her and that wasn't like that people weren't praising both of their performances as much as they should have been because yeah, yeah. I love Tessa's performance. I love Renata's performance. My write in vote though this is so predictable, but it's for Alana Heim in Licorice Pizza. I love Heim, the band. And when I heard that she was going to be in this movie, I was really nervous, actually, because I was like, oh, no. I mean, I don't I don't know how she is as an actress. Like, what kind of movie is PTA making here? Are we back in Inherent Vice territory? Like, what's going to happen? How is she going to be? And again, like Jane Campion, I should have trusted PTA. Um, with the casting choice because she just blew me away. She emerged as this like fully formed actress who seemed like she'd been in like five movies before and just knew who she was. And I think just seeing her come to life in that way on screen was just like one of my favorite experiences going to the movies last year. So I was so sad when she didn't get nominated because it felt like it was really close with her BAFTA nomination and with licorice pizza getting into picture but alas again another three great alternatives Mm -hmm. that i Mm -hmm. would have happily plugged in here probably instead of the biopic performances yep (laughs) exactly that (laughs) so who do you think should win i think olivia coleman should win her physicality is is really remarkable to me and she does so much with a character that could be very unlikable or very, like, you don't understand her motivations, but I felt like I totally got it, even from the beginning. So this was going to be, for me, the time that I reward Olivia Colman, <laughs> because in my own narrative, Glenn wins in 2018, and Olivia is overdue, and here is her win. That's my very me answer. <laughs> It's hard. I think I go back and forth always here between Olivia and Penelope, but Penelope for me is my number one here. I think she should win. She has a supporting actress win, but not a win in best actress yet. So I feel like this would be a perfect win for her here. 
with her greatest collaborator. She's doing just such nuanced work. And I feel like, yeah, like you mentioned earlier, this is a performance that's going to age really, really well. And if it won, I think like future generations and people would look back on this as a really strong Best Actress win. What a cool win that would be. Yeah, I really want that to happen. Even though I want Olivia, obviously. Right. She already has one in lead. Mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah, definitely. for Especially for a Pedro movie, that would be yeah. perfect. And I would also go with Olivia. I think it's so different from the favorite that having to would really showcase who she is as an actress and like a lot more. And her being able to show restraint here versus the boisterous... Queen Anne so I'm always gonna vote for Olivia though so this is not a surprise okay who do we think will win this is a really hard category to predict again (laughs) yeah an impossible question who wants to take the lead here and make their case or are we all unsure I guess I'll start I have no leads of like (laughs) here's my narrative of like who will possibly win Mm -hmm. this other than Jessica Chastain won SAG, she beat Nicole Kidman, and I think that means probably Nicole Kidman is not winning this, I would guess, because mm-hmm. if she can't win with actors, that's the only branch of the Academy that liked beating the Ricardos, so I sort of just assume that Jessica now has like the traditional biopic slot. But there's always, like, that little hint of, like, Olivia Coleman tends to surprise. Like, she just surprised at the Emmys. And I, I, they clearly liked that movie enough to nominate Jesse. And obviously adapted screenplay was expected. But the Jesse one is a sign to me that they really responded to this movie. Um, and I do wonder if, like, a more international or, like, a more cinephile crowd that is now in the academy will respond more to what Olivia's doing or what Penelope's doing to maybe go for her instead of Jessica who is a more traditional choice overall but I think there's just like such a baitiness to what Jessica Chastain is doing in that movie that I almost wonder if she might just like squeak by anyway so as of literally right now you know this might change tomorrow but I'm going with Jessica Chastain Yeah, I'm also going to go with Jessica. I think there has been some trajectory to her winning, for better or worse. (laughs) I think also just looking at her being the only previously nominated actress here without a win. Mm -hmm. In a way, yes, it's kind of like a for her time thing, which that makes two here for Will and her. But I think it fits. I think that is enough. You know, she is campaigning. But I think that's enough in her favor to be like, yes, we'll award her. She deserves it. Mm. Yeah. I'm really having a hard time. You know what? I am just going to do it today. It might change when we do our final predictions. I'm going to go with Olivia Coleman. Wow. Amazing. I just, I don't know. I mean, I just feel kind of like I completely agree with you. I think that Jessica edges out Nicole. I think that, like, that's what SAG showed us. But I just still... I'm wary about SAG like holding the cards or like showing the tea leaves because of Viola last year. And I feel like that could be a similar case here with Jessica. And I just feel like with this growing academy becoming more international, like is the eyes of Tammy Faye going to be something that connects with those voters? 
I don't know. I mean, it could be a name check. I know she's like really respected and she's campaigning, but that to me like leaves an opening for Olivia or Penelope in particular. And I feel like because of the extra Jesse Buckley nomination and we already know that actors love Olivia, I'm just going to do it and I'm going to predict her for her second win. (laughs) So then we'll have Francis, Olivia, (laughs) Renee, Francis, Olivia. And then next year, Renee. (laughs) Renee, now's your time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I guess when you put it that way, it is kind of weird. But I mean, it's just like the (laughs) BAFTA doesn't really hold a key this year for us. Like last year oh i don't feel good about that prediction but i'm just gonna stick with it and just see what happens yeah it's 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 valid (laughs) we'll see just like i think Kristen stewart is maybe valid i mean i i get like some Mm -hmm. people are like the nomination is the reward but maybe it's a case of the nomination was the hurdle i don't know i mean really this race i do feel it's like it's an anything can happen type of scenario yeah oh always makes it fun Mm mm-hmm Well, Kevin, thank you so much for being here with us today to talk about Best Actor and Best Actress. We had so much fun with you, as always. Yes, thank you. This was a lot of fun, like I said, bringing me out of the 40s (laughs) and now really talking about some actually like complex kinds of performances more so than maybe I'm used to talking (laughs) about. No shade to my 40s ladies, but, you know, (laughs) it's different. It's different. So, yes, thank you so much. It's always, always, always a pleasure. And where can we find you? Tell our listeners, I know you've been here before, but let them know where they can find you and your podcast. Uh, Twitter at Kevin underscore Jacobson. And that is S-E-N, not S-O-N at the end. Some people get confused. Um, And the podcast is at Oscar Runner Up. The podcast is and the runner up is. Uh, We talk about now we're talking about best actress races of the past before we talked about best picture. I've had both of you on, actually. Um, You were both on a bonus episode on Coal Miner's Daughter, which was fun. And Sophia was on recently for the 1937 episode, which was wild. It was very, (laughs) very fun. Talking about Louise and her second win. Yes. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Well, thank you again for being with us today. And for all our listeners, you can... Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Oscar Wilde Pod. If you like our show, please rate, review, and subscribe. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.